So today I'm talking to Mark Kilby, a agile coach from uh, the US who works for Sonatype, and we've recently met in uh, Berlin on a distributed agile conference and also in a panel discussion which was done virtually uh, two weeks back for a uh, trade fair in Las Vegas. And Mark is doing a lot of distributed work uh, because his company, Sonotype, is completely distributed. So I'm very interested in uh, our talk today, and maybe, Mark, you can introduce yourself a bit. Sure thing. Uh, and, Hugo, thanks uh, for, for inviting me on the podcast. It's great yeah. to both see and hear you again. Right. <laughs> so uh, a little bit about my work. Uh, I've, I have been working as an Agile coach since about 2003, and... For those familiar with Agile, uh, you know that it, they uh, tend to emphasize co-location and face-to-face. -face. Well, about 90% of my work has not been co-located. Uh, with uh, many of my teams, they've either been partially distributed or, as with my work now at Sonatype, completely distributed. So right now we have uh, four Scrum teams at Sonatype. Uh, everyone works out of their house on those teams. And, and when I say out of their house, those houses are from Eastern Europe all the way to the West Coast of the U.S. Yeah, I think you even have, have a, a digital nomad in your team, right, Jeffrey? Oh, we have a few, actually. Oh, okay. uh, and, they, and they specifically hired on to, ha to have that lifestyle. Uh, and it works out very well. You know, as long as, as long as you focus on your commitments and get those done, you can really work from anywhere uh, if you work with Sonatype. Right. Yeah. So it's been uh, it's been a, a great experience uh, being at Sonatype. I, I used to consult, uh, but decided I wanted to go back into an internal uh, coaching role. One for the experience of working with completely distributed teams, uh, but also uh, for a better work-life blending. I don't like the term work-life balance. I, I think that's the, the wrong way to think about it. Uh, but it's really how, how can you more easily mix your work life in your, your family life, your home life? Uh, because I, for me, all those are important. So how do, how do I mix those so that they work well? Yeah, exactly. That's, that's, yeah. I think it's, uh, I, I see a, a big challenge as a digital nomad to do that. I, met, I was in, in, in Bali a couple of months back and I see all these guys that just surf and then work from the hotel room it must be challenging as well but yeah. yep but you know it, it, i think it also depends on what stage of life you're in right now i mean for me uh, i have a wife and three kids and i like to be where they are at and sometimes they can come with me and sometimes i need to be where they're they're located exactly yeah that makes a lot of sense exactly i think it's this but but i have seen some digital nomad families as well Yes, yes, there are a few. Uh, I'm, I'm a member of a few online communities, and I, and I bump into some of those families from, from time to time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think as soon as your kids go to school, it's, it becomes a different challenge. Oh, yes. And, um, you know, one of the things that I, that I wanted to discuss in this, in this um, uh, chat is you, you seem to be talking a lot about sort of soft factors in distributed teams, whereas in the Agile community, it's usually about you know, processes and how to adopt an Agile mindset. Like, yes. how do you, I noticed that in the workshop you did in Berlin, there were some people who thought, you know, okay, but how are we going to really do this? Because you thought- yeah, what, what are the steps? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So how yeah, do you what see the that? process? Yeah. But what are, I mean, let's do two things. What, what are some of the best practices about you know, let's say distributed communication that you've experienced and 
what are these five steps that people could follow to get better at distributed collaboration? Mm, okay. So um, le let me start with um, sort of the first thing. Uh, the first best practice is I, I try to steer people away from the term soft skills uh, because we, I think with with language, particularly that language, people tend to think soft skills, ah, they're not so important. I can maybe do those later. I can pick those up later. Absolutely not true. Uh, and why I like to refer to them as deep skills. When you really need to get your team to work well together, that's when you have to go deep. That's where you have to learn the facilitation techniques. You have to learn some of the one-on-one -on -one coaching techniques, I believe. Uh, so as I don't care whether you call yourself a coach, a scrum master, consultant, uh, if you're or if you're in any kind of leadership position, it helps you to focus in those areas because you're you're trying to get a team to work together day after day as well as they possibly can. Um, I actually start off as a software architect. So, um, so you have a technical background. Exactly. I have a technical background, although I don't code that. I code for fun these days. I don't, I don't code for work these days. Uh, but ab about 15 years ago, as, as I was kind of coming up through the ranks uh, in, in my industry, I was really starting to get more fascinated with these deeper problems. And none of them had to do with the technology. They had to do with the people and how the people right. interacted and how they weren't interacting and what were some of the challenges. And that's where I kind of changed my focus slowly. And so what, what, what would be an example of a deep skill that you... <laughs> so, so the first one that uh, uh, usually pops up is how to run an effective meeting. I mean, it, it sounds simple, but you know, how many meetings have you, have you been in in the past where you just go, oh, why am I here? Can I please just stop the pain? <laughs> <laughs> and um, I, I won't quote companies, but I will say in my early part of my career, I sat through four hours, six hour, eight hour meetings that sometimes you, you wonder how the suicide rate's not higher in some industries. <laughs> um, and so, you know, as I, as I saw more of these meetings, especially in software, I thought, you know, people, people's time are valuable. As software uh, engineers in particular, they have to have time to focus. They have to have the time for quiet. And I, and I get that. Um, but what Agile's taught me is we also need that time for feedback. We need to check in. Are we building the right thing? Are we heading the right direction? So you have to, you have to come together. So make that as efficient as possible. As that's where I got into facilitation at first and then got into uh, different levels of coaching. Uh, I, I like, I like the, the model that Lisa Atkins from Agile Coaching Institute has where they emphasize not only um, knowledge of Agile but also knowledge of facilitation, knowledge of professional coaching where you're, you're working more at, at a – a leadership level as well. And I think all those skills can be brought into any, any lead position. And to, to go a bit deeper on that, because it sounds interesting to me, how, like how do, you, how do you do virtual facilitation? Because I've, that, that's, to be honest, the thing that I've been struggling with as well. But I think that that topic came, came, came in our workshop in Berlin as well, where you've got people from other cultures. Let's say we've got Chinese or Indian guys on our team, and now we need to facilitate that uh, virtual meeting that we're having. This brings extra challenges. How do you go about this? 
it, extra challenges and it requires some additional preparation. Uh, if you if you go through some traditional facilitation training, you'll usually get a rule of thumb that says for every hour in a meeting, you might have two, three, four hours of preparation. For starting distributed meetings, it might be more than that uh, because you you need to build connections with those people as quickly as possible, hopefully before the meeting, so yeah. that you understand what do they need to stay connected in the meeting. Uh, so that's where on my blog I've written uh, about techniques such as use a buddy system. So if you if you understand there might be some cultural challenges or some language challenges, who can they connect with in the meeting that can focus on that individual, making sure they're staying connected, making sure they can raise a question or raise a point if they have something to add to the meeting. Right. So that that for me is critical. Um, and also having having a back channel. So if all of your other technology fails, and that's and we were just talking about this before we started the podcast. Right. We need so if the video fails, if the audio fails, how can I still connect with you? Right. That's that's the most critical thing is as a as a distributed facilitator, how can you have that safety net so everyone can stay connected in the meeting? Yeah. And and then make it as efficient as possible. Well, and and like, the technology is getting better. So, so you, you're basically saying you need to connect with people before you start your first meeting. So you need more preparation time. And if we look at culture, for example, one of the things that is very difficult with my, my I mean, my experience is mainly with people in East Europe and with, with India. So mm -hmm. let's take that example. If I have guys in my Indian team, um, who, especially if they're sort of new, it's very hard to get them to join a meeting, to really contribute with ideas. And yes. So this is, I mean, you could say you start with facilitation, but I think it's also about sort of addressing and understanding these differences. And even today, I'm struggling with this. So Yes, yes. Where, where do you start with that? I mean, how do you? Yeah, so, so I, I won't say this works in all cases, but some things I've done as part of that connecting with people, if I have the opportunity, I'll, I'll try to connect with the participants one-on-one, -on -one, especially if it's the very first time I'm facilitating a meeting with them and getting to understand not only what works for them in the meeting, but uh, what they feel is the purpose of the meeting, what they feel they need to bring up in the meeting, and do they feel comfortable bringing it up or do they need to have somebody bring it up for them? So then if we're, if we're using that buddy system in the meeting, maybe their buddy can bring it up if they don't feel comfortable doing it. Or as facilitator, if I know in advance somebody had an issue related to one of our topics, I might say, you know, I, in, in talking to some of you before the meeting, I heard this issue come up. And what do you all think of that? So their, their voice is still getting added to the meeting as part of that. So that's why I'm saying the preparation sometimes is a little bit more when you're starting out. But once, once you get people understanding that they can contribute before the meeting and sometimes even after the meeting, if, if it's a meeting that repeats, then they know they've still got a way to have their voice heard in the meeting. Yeah, exactly. Okay. That makes a lot yeah. of sense. And what, what I always think about when I think of agile is, is a process and you could mm -hmm. say, you know, agile is a mindset. You could think of agile as a mindset or, or a process thing where maybe the, the most practical implementation of the process part is that you choose Scrum or, or, or Kanban or XP. Oh, and, and all the lovely debates that happen when, when you go, go into that decision process. Yeah, exactly. And, but 
if I listen to you, I think you're, you're basically saying you need to start with, with people and really focus on how, how those teams collaborate. And not, but, but I guess you also look at more of the uh, hard things like process or what, like how do we implement Scrum? At least that's what I see. Most teams start that. They, they yeah. think okay, we've been delivering in a certain way, but we want to see what Scrum or Kanban can add to the way we're working. Yes, yes. And, and not, to, not to block that. Um, so I, I, think it's, I think it's good for any team new to Agile to start with one of those processes. Scrum is a wonderful framework. Uh, X, you know, extreme programming or XP is a wonderful one. Kanban is another wonderful framework. And w what I usually recommend is uh, a team start with that and try to go as by the book as they can. Try to stick with the process and then see where they're having difficulties. And then use, use their retrospectives or however they're, in, they're checking in with each other. Uh, but do it on a regular basis and say, okay, this is not working. Why is it not working for us? And how can we make it, how can we make the process serve us and not us serve the process? When teams start thinking that way, then they're making that mind shift. They're starting to own the process and not having the process drive them. Yeah, I like that. That's, that's a good mindset. Yeah. 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 Uh, well, I'll I, I put it, I'll put it this way. I've, I've seen many times where uh, Agile has, uh, failed just as much as traditional waterfall practices, but it's usually because people are not paying attention to how the process is serving them and they're not communicating about that. So that's where I have a heavy emphasis on just talk about it, have some opportunities for the team to step back from their work and say, okay, this is why it's not working. Uh, this is what we might try. And so that's another best practice is try something. Don't just make a, a complete change set it up as an experiment that we can we can try something out and see if it works for a small period of time and then get together again as a group and say did this work for us do we want to amplify what we did or didn't work and we need to try something else to make sure the process works better for us uh, what, what would you say are, are more specific challenges if you try to implement a new way of working like scrum like you're used to a waterfall model and now you go to Scrum, but you've got a distributed team at the outside. Like how, what, what should those teams look at? Because it sounds to me like, the, like what you're saying is that the, the, the role of a retrospective is actually crucial. Yes. The improvement gets done. Yeah, I, I would say just no matter what agile or lean process you, you take on, having that opportunity to reflect or retrospect on how it's working for you is, is critical and doing it on a regular basis. Um, so coming back to your question, uh, one of the big challenges, whether you're, you're coming from a traditional approach or a, uh, or, or maybe very little process at all, but you have a distributed team, uh, usually one of the first things to look at is, and, and Scrum focuses a little bit more on this, but Scrum focuses on the cross-functional team. You have all the skills you need to produce a piece of software. And it's not just coders and not just testers, but do you have people who can do the documentation? Do you have who, people who can actually push the software to production? Uh, with distributed teams, uh, depending on how many time zones they're spread out, that can be a huge challenge. And so you yeah. need to spend a little more time than a co-located team, I think, thinking about, well, how is this really going to work for us? And how can we quickly communicate? Because Scrum in particular, is assuming you're talking throughout the day. But if your day is only over for an hour or two, 
that becomes very difficult. And you need to think about what else do we need to put in place or do we need to rearrange the team differently or split into smaller teams that can communicate closely. Yeah, exactly. So what is important is to define the rules in the right location plus to create a sort of meeting rhythm which adapt, which is adapted to the distributed way of working, right? Right, right. And, and the, the one thing I always try to keep in mind is what feedback loops do I need, both within the team, with stakeholders outside the team, um, any, any kind of feedback I need for the team to be successful? How do I make those feedback loops as short as possible, as quick as possible, so yeah. the team can keep moving uh, as, at, a, at a good pace? I'm not going to say super fast, uh, you know, sustainable is the word you always hear. You know, so how, how can they be sustainable in their pace? And it's looking at those feedback loops that they need. Uh, and how do you make those as short as possible? Yes, exactly. Well, th this is, I think this, like for a product software firm like, like Sonotype, or like if you're building your own product, this is probably easier to implement. I've seen that if you're a service firm and you've got it. So for example, you've got, you're a service firm in India, and then you've got a client in the West, you do not have an office in the local or in the country where you're, you, you've got your client. This is incredibly hard because th there is a you know unresponsiveness from the client side because they think you know I'm the client, I'm the king. So it's yeah, particularly yeah. strong. Yeah, uh, you well. Uh, so I, I'll I'll safely say we have hit some of our own struggles and some of the things we have learned is uh, one of the ways to get those feedback loop short is get some smaller teams uh, and make sure those team members are as close as possible in time zones uh, or at least in working preferences. So uh, we have some teams that were spread out along 12 time zones and it worked, but not as well as we like. Sure, yeah. And so we, we reorganized those into, into some smaller teams. They're working better. But we have another team where we have six or seven time zones uh, separating some of the furthest members. But they tend, uh, they're in Eastern Europe, and they tend to prefer to work in the evenings. And so there's more overlap with those of us um, in, in London and the U.S., and that works well for that particular team. So again, how, how can you get those feedback loops as, as close as possible is, is always the key. Yeah, exactly. I think, yeah. I, and, 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 and I usually don't talk about this, but I think I'm, I'm just curious, like what sort of tools do you use to structure the work with your completely distributed team on, on both the programming level and the communication level? So uh, that that's a question we ask ourselves frequently. Uh, <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> you know, are we using the right tools? Uh, so we for for a long time uh, we've been on the Google Apps Suite and uh, the Atlassian Suite. Uh, I think probably the most used tools uh, in that set um, email, although we're trying to get away from that. Uh, HipChat, which is the Atlassian uh, chat product, and Jira. Uh, particularly the Jira Agile features there. So uh, the teams have their own scrum boards that, that they manage. Uh, each, each team has their own hip chat channel. Uh, but what's probably unique is we have some cross collaboration channels. Uh, so uh, for, for teams, uh, team members focusing on certain things. So for instance, user experience. So all of the user experience people also have their own channel where they can bounce ideas off of their colleagues in their discipline, which would not necessarily be the same people in their team. Uh, 
So they can get two different quick feedback loops that way. Um, another is uh, what we call the Agile Commons, and uh, we have a few Agile coaches at Sonatype as well as product owners. They're primarily in that channel, but really anybody who has an Agile question can jump in on that channel, ask their question, and usually get a few very good and quick answers to that. Okay, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so I would say probably chat is the most heavily used tool uh, for us to, to quickly get information and to coordinate on different tasks. I can see that you're also very active in Slack. You're like, you're oh, yes. like, you're, you're like a seasoned chatter. Oh, yes. Uh, you, 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 uh, you tend to develop sort of a, a peripheral sense. Yes. So my favorite feature in any chat program is if you can just bounce, you know, just subtly bounce an icon in front of me. I don't want sound. I don't want anything else. But if you can get something that will trigger my peripheral vision, then I can, I can choose to jump in on that conversation. Yeah, exactly. I, I find it disturbing sometimes somehow. That, yeah. Like I, yeah. I've got all these, like most of the, the tools that I use are in my browser now. So I have to switch between all those things. I lose my passwords. Then I have to, like right now I've got five or six Slack windows open because for Slack you need a different tab in your browser to follow all of those messages because yeah. I don't like getting notifications on my desktop. But Yeah, that's one, of the, that's one of the things I got away from was, uh, well, one, I shut off the desktop notifications and just yeah. have the, the bouncing you know, chat icon, and I got everything out of the browser. So I have very little in the browser right. these days. So if I need to focus, I shut off all those other apps, and where I'm working in my browser is all I have open. Yeah, but then so, if you like, so how do you how do you stay updated on the Slack notifications? Uh, so, so I have I have times where I, I focus on certain activities, yeah, right. and times where I I open up my collaboration and I make sure I vary those so that I can still get my work done, but also stay in touch with my teams. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. and times when you go out and and get your dog outside, right? Yeah. Yeah, or, or uh, family members. Uh, as, as I said, work-life uh, blending is a, is a big part of it. Yeah, I think it's great. Yeah. Another thing I meant to ask you, like right now I'm developing this sort of distributed agile meth methodology or, or framework together with Ralph and Rosemala. So because I've, I've noticed that there are, like there's a lot going on in the agile scrum Kanban space. Yes. And, and teams adapt that, but usually those certifications or trainings are all around Agile or Scrum, which is supposed to be co-located. I haven't found anything for, for, you know, distributed, like a distributed methodology. Have you, have you come across that? Because I saw you train some thousand people inside Rally Software, your yes. few jobs prior. Yes. Uh, so, so I'll say the, the ones that probably come closest right now um, but they don't really emphasize the distributed nature is uh, frameworks like the Scaled Agile Framework yeah. or um, Scott Ambler's uh, Distributed Agile or Disciplined Agile Delivery, excuse me, uh, DADS uh, is that one. So um, I have not looked as much into uh, the less framework uh, or the Nexus framework, but there's few scaled frameworks out there. But they're, they're usually focused on how do you how do you coordinate co-located teams that might be yeah. distributed? So the teams themselves are together, but the 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 different teams you're collaborating with might be spread out across one building or across countries or across time zones. So those are the ones that get the closest because 
much of the, the early agile focus was on co-located teams. Yes. One thing that I've been talking to a few other people about is, you know, when the, when the Agile Manifesto that kicked a lot of this off back in 2001, when that was written, it was written at a time where there was not much as far as online communication beyond email. Uh, and, and so there, it, it, it didn't seem possible to have a conversation like this on, a, on an ad hoc basis where you can just exactly. pull it up at any time. Uh, like you could a phone call or like you could go to somebody's desk, but we're getting to that stage now where you've got video chat built built into your chat tool. So you can switch from text to, hey, let's talk, Hugo. You know, so yeah. we have some new capabilities now uh, that didn't exist 15 years ago. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. From the tools perspective, but I, what I, I haven't got, I've got, I haven't gotten into those methods that you've just described. But I, I have the impression this is more like okay, I've got Scrum, but then I need to scale it across eighty teams within a large firm, for example. But yes, on a distributed way. I mean, it's it's all about the communication becomes different. You've got those cultural differences. You you need to do extra efforts to create a real team spirit. There's that there are things that are. It's maybe all on the soft factors, but you need to do different stuff when you're distributed. I think. You, right, and and when you're when you're talking at scale, where you're coordinating teams of teams, uh, maybe across a single product or whole product line, you you might actually be blending a few methodologies. Uh, so, for those not familiar with uh, scaled agile framework, at the team level, you can use Scrum, you can use Kanban, but as you go as you go up in, in levels, so there's a program level under uh, above the team level that coordinates the teams. That's more of a, of a Kanban approach there. Right. And then at the level above that, where you're coordinating multiple products at, at the portfolio level, again, it's a Kanban approach. Uh, so, so there's a, a mix of, of levels and different types of feedback loops that you have to pay attention to. Uh, and that's why you have people focusing at different levels so they can, monitor those different kinds of communications. Yes, exactly. And how, how does your, the, the tool you're building with Sonotype, it's, it's, for, it's aimed at developers, right? Or did I miss so, so there's actually, there's actually a few tools in the product line. Uh, so the primary tool, Nexus, is uh, targeted more toward uh, developers and, and developer teams for uh, having a repository of components. So uh, if you're familiar with, with uh, tools like Maven, uh, they, they pull components from all over the internet. Well, if you have hundreds of developers doing that, uh, you're, you're, you're really putting a strain on your network. So how can you have a single repository that does some of that prefetching for you? Right. And it also helps you monitor those components. Uh, and that's our, our second product kind of builds on top of that called uh, Lifecycle, which uh, that tool looks at, for those components you have, what are some security issues that you may not be aware of? Or, as you know, with open source, there's all kinds of licenses that may or may not help you. And if you're not aware of those, uh, you, you might be getting into some trouble using some of those open source components. Uh, and so that tool kind of helps give you a report on, here's what your developers are using, here's what you may want to steer clear of, and here's what you might use as part of that. So those are all automated tools that are giving you real-time feedback on the health of your system. So are, is what you're building, you know, is it going to be secure? Is it, is it going to cause you any kind of licensing or legal issues down the road? So that, that second product is, is targeted for uh, a variety of folks, your, your, uh, your security folks, your, your legal team as part of the company, and, and 
other other products are on the way. I'll put it that way. That they help with those automated feedback systems. And this first product is basically assembling components from all over the internet into a central database, which is stored in the cloud. Or how, do, how should I see that? It, it can be it can be stored in the cloud, or if you need greater security, it can be be stored in your own premises, right. your own data center. Uh, and it's not only uh, open source components, but also internal components. So right. again, if you have multiple teams working together, maybe, uh, maybe one team is developing a communications framework. Another team is developing a collaboration framework built on top of that. And they can all archive those components so that anyone in the organization can use those and know about, hey, this is the, you know, these are the latest versions that are available. Uh, here's some of the open source components they may or may not be using. So, so it's sort of a next generation version control system. Yes, yes. So we refer to it as as the uh, the warehouse for your your DevOps factory. Right. So that's that's where you're storing your raw materials essentially to to build the products uh, that you need for your customers. Okay, interesting. So it's it's unsuitable to distributed teams as well. Oh yes, very much so. Of course. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and of course we use our own tools, so uh, we we can tell you they work just just fine for distributed teams. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And you're organizing Agile Orlando this year, and you did the same last year, right? Yeah. So um, so Agile Orlando is the user group uh, that's been around since about 2008, um, and that has spawned into a network of user groups across the state of Florida called Agile Florida. So if people want more information, they can go to agileorlando.com or agileflorida.com. But we have had several conferences spawn out of that. So uh, we have the, um, and they've changed the name here recently, so hopefully I'll get it right. The, um, oh goodness, I've forgotten the name now. But uh, the South Florida team uh, has uh, uh, created a conference uh, very much like the the Agile Conference, uh, the the national or international Agile Conference, uh, but it's more regional. Uh, it includes people from across the southeast, and it's a it's a great little conference. Some great speakers, national speakers, that have shown up to that. The second conference that we've we've also started through that network is called Agile Open Florida. So this one follows the open space technology format. If okay. you're familiar with that. Uh, and and so we've we've run that one for about two years now. It's become very popular. We actually have to move it to a new venue because we we had over uh, 200 people attend the last one. Okay. Uh, we need to find a larger venue uh, to for for this year. And so we have that secured. We're we're going to be in Orlando this time. Uh, but uh, that's been a great conference. And again, has 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 brought some some national as well as local presence there. And all those activities are managed by volunteer distributed right. teams. And so one of the reasons I'm very comfortable in Slack is that's how my volunteer teams are communicating yeah. all the time. Yeah. yeah. So so I, I, I work with many distributed teams of different flavors. <laughs> yes, you, you seem well-rounded. You're all over the place. Yeah. So if people want to learn more about you and get in touch with you, how can they reach you? So the, the best place to reach me is through my blog, markkilby.com, M-A-R-K-K-I-L-B-Y.com. And I have pointers to uh, original material I've written there. I also have pointers to Sonotype. We have several blog posts on the Sonotype site that talks about how we work as distributed teams. And I encourage people to go to both. And I also uh, point to others 
in the distributed agile community. I think I need to put a link to your site on there, uh, Hugo. I don't think I, I have love that. that. So, uh, so trying to let people identify this this growing body of knowledge and, and these growing uh, practitioners in distributed agile because I think it's really starting to come into its own now. Yeah. Very very excited to uh, to share that information with others. Right, and I saw you also have a listing of podcasts that actually talk about distributed work. Yes, yes, and I'll, I'll probably be updating that here shortly. Right. Okay, great. So thanks so much for the talk, and I look forward to our next virtual meeting. As do I. Thanks, Hugo. Yeah, thanks, Mark.